0: Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. How we doing? How'd you guys like that song? Isn't that powerful? Um, I was talking with Lauren earlier this week, asked if we could include that, because um, just the, the lines in there, the fact that the lion and the lamb, Jesus was described as the lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world but he's also declared as the lion of the tribe of Judah, which is a simple way of saying that there is a promised Messiah that was coming, and he's coming back to take his rightful rule and reign on the earth. Love that. Isn't that a great song? You'll see how it plays out for today, too. Before we jump into our message, I want to give uh, one quick announcement. We have um, courses called Essentials that are going to be coming up, and uh, Essentials are things that we would say these would be essential things for everybody to know. I think there's two times that are intimidating when you first start walking with God. One is when someone hands you a Bible, like, eh, what do I do with that? I don't know. Uh, It's got a lot of pages, no pictures. I mean, you know, I don't know what to do with this thing. It's intimidating. The other one is when you sit down to spend time with God, and you're not sure what that looks like. So two courses that are video venue courses designed to answer those two big needs. One's called The Message, and uh, we'll give you tools on how to study the Bible, give you an overview of the Bible. The other one, The Message... Gives you practical ways on how to spend time with God. If that sounds interesting to you, it's, uh, there's info on your program. Check that out. It gives you a way to sign up online and uh, kicks off June 7th and June 8th. Sound good? All right, let's pray and then we'll jump in. Well, Lord, it's, uh, it's great to be here with you today and uh, it's Memorial Weekend. And so, Lord, we want to pause and just thank you for one thing really key, that we worship in a place where there is freedom. And we know how fragile that is. So thank you, Lord, for the lives that have been laid down, that we could come into this place without a fear of it being shut down, to worship, uh, to declare, to do whatever we uh, do in these services, but we have a place of freedom. So thank you, Lord, for that freedom. And uh, we just also pray Galatians 5.1 over this place today, which it says it is for freedom that you died to set us free. So, thank you that we get to walk in freedom as believers. So, Lord, today we invite your presence, we invite your power, and would you come and uh, use this whole service? Um, and we just invite you to be a, a key part and the focus in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, great to be with you guys today. My name is Dave. Um, if you've got a program inside it, there's an outline. I encourage you to grab that and uh, you could follow along with it. And as you pull it out, Um, I'm going to kick off with uh, just a simple question, and I want you to think about a time that your perspective on something changed, when your perspective on something changed. Uh, Many years ago when I went through the police academy, I remember the first time I went on duty. I suit up, you know, put the uniform on, which at first it always just feels kind of like a costume, like, I don't think this is real. then you get in. I remember getting in the police car, and you go out, and you start driving. And you guys know, we all grew up in L.A. here, right? Or most of us, or you lived here at least. So we're L.A. drivers. We're fairly aggressive, right? L.A. drivers are fairly aggressive drivers. And so same thing, go to the station, you know, suit up, get in the police car. I was shocked, absolutely shocked. You know, start driving around. Instantly, I'd never seen the city like this. It was the most courteous drivers I've ever seen in my life. I'd never seen that. <laughs> Honestly, oh, wow, they use their signal. Oh, you want to get over? Oh, absolutely, come on in. <laughs> I was like, where am I? I don't even know where I'm in. It felt like I was driving in Wonderland. I didn't know where I was. It was crazy. I, it was really funny to me. I, I remember how naive I was. I, there, there could be, you know, part of what you have with training officers, they, they open your eyes to things you don't see or pay attention to. So my eyes were always expanding. I didn't realize how much crime was going on around. So I got a bigger perspective. I got a bigger perspective on how much counseling you have to do out there. Um, late at night, I can't tell you how many young couples you find parked somewhere, uh, underage. Oh, let's see. I call the mom. Hi, do you know where your daughter is? Yeah, she's in her room. Actually. That's the stopper right there. Um, and like, hey, uh, well, we're out here with her, I don't know if you'd like to come out and meet her boyfriend. What? You know, I'm amazed at how fast they drive to the scene. Hair everywhere. Great counseling sessions. Um But perspectives, you know, it's just like any new job. Your your perspectives are going to grow as you're in it. When you're a little kid growing up, your perspectives widen about the world and what you see. Today is one of those times as we open up the Bible and we look at a portion of Scripture, it's going to be like a perspective broadener. Your perspective's going to broaden because it's going to show reality behind our reality. And it's a great passage. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, And I want to read a quote by a... um, Famous theologian by the name of Morpheus from The Matrix. <laughs> you ever saw The Matrix? This is a great, a great scene. This is kind of the kicker in the movie. And Morpheus looks at Neo and he says this. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole Goes, we're going in the rabbit hole today, and uh, it's going to be a fun trip down the rabbit hole. Um, and it may challenge your perspectives, but it's also going to give you amazing tools how to walk in freedom, power, and victory. So that should sound encouraging, right? So let's take a look at it. If you're brand new, I want to catch you up to speed on the series briefly. We're in a series called Sent, and it's called Go- Going Global. And this is really like a third mini-series in the book of Acts. We're studying the book of Acts, one of the longest books in the New Testament, written by a doctor. His name's Luke. Luke is the one who wrote the gospel of Luke, chronicled the life of Jesus. He wrote the book of Acts, which takes it from when Jesus rose, and this little band of followers starting out in Jerusalem, these little band of believers starts to grow in Jerusalem, grows to thousands. And he really tracks this story, how this little band of Christ followers, this movement of Jesus grows, and it goes all the way to Rome itself, takes over the Roman Empire in a short span of time. That's the book of Acts. So what we learned last week, it was the first week of this new mini-series in the book of Acts, and Michael talked about two big things. One, that this mission, um, or this, uh, this movement is missional, which means it's always on the move, it's always going forward, it's always expanding. What is the heart of God? Is that this mission goes to the end of the world, to the ends of the earth. That's where it's, it's at. So it's not a passive thing. It's always on the move. The second thing that was really highlighted is that this message and movement is for everyone. It started out in Jerusalem with just the Jews. But then what you see, it went to Antioch, which the message is now being expanded to non-Jews, to the Gentiles. And that what you're catching is this message is for the whole world. So, we now have a couple of believers, followers of Jesus, who are now going out and sharing this message. They're going to travel and bring this message around. So, today's story, we're going to be picking that up. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 4. So, Acts 13, verse 4. And what you're going to catch is there's going to be major opposition to this message and this movement. And this, this opposition just isn't on a physical level, it's on a cosmic level. You're going to see the power of heaven come to earth and overcome opposition and bring victory. That sounds great. So let's take a look at it. Acts 13, starting at verse 4. It says, the two of them, and that's referencing Paul and Barnabas. These are the two that are on this trip. They sent, were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Now, Luke, when he wrote this, is emphasizing that they go under the authority of God. This is not some passive thing they're doing. So they were sent by the Holy Spirit, and they went down to Seleucia. Now, if you look at your map on your program, um, you'll, you'll notice this. Um, you see uh, Antioch, and then you see on the right side of your map, there's two Antiochs. That's the Antioch on the right, and Seleucia is about 16 miles on foot northwest of Antioch. And so they... They go from Antioch to Seleucia, and then they jump on a boat, and it says they sailed to Cyprus. Cyprus is that big island there. So you can imagine how beautiful this was. Mediterranean waters, going to go across, and they're going to this big island called Cyprus. And you need to understand, for Barnabas, this is his hometown. These are his people. What a great place to start a journey. He knows the people. He knows the culture. He's probably got connections, relationships, and that's where they begin. Verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, this is a city on the southeast coast, it's a really big Jewish population, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. So what you find out, they just got a summer intern. We later find his name is John Mark, so you got these three people traveling, and they had a pattern. When they would go and bring this message, they would go to cities first, they would go to the Jews first. Share it with the Jews. Then they would bring it to the Gentiles, and they do ministry as a team. And so, uh, verse six, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. If you look on your map, that's far right. It's a port city. Paphos is the uh, it's basically the capital. <coughs> Excuse me, it's the capital of Cyprus, and um, Cyprus was run by a governor for under Rome. You could either have like a Roman or a military ruler giving authority over a province or you can have a governor appointed by the senate over an area this place had a governor so this island was ruled by a governor by the name of Sergius Paulus and so he lived in Paphos this is the seat of government and that's where they just land so they're in Paphos goes on to say there they met a jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Barjesus who was an attendant of the proconsul the governor sergius paulus so you see the two characters that get added into the story the governor sergius paulus and you've got this sorcerer named bar jesus now let me just say this bar jesus is a simple way of bar just means son of so son of jesus or son of joshua it could go either way and it's not jesus jesus of Nazareth. uh it's a it was a common name but just meant son of joshua or jesus later we find his name is alimus so that's the sorcerer. And then you've got the governor. But what I want you to catch, it says there was a Jewish sorcerer. You know, there's two words that should never go, to work or go together. One is Jewish, the other one's sorcerer. It's like saying, I'm a sumo wrestler ballerina. It doesn't work. <laughs> Jewish sorcerers should never be on the same page. Here's the thing. In Judaism, sorcery was banned. Sorcery was tapping into dark powers, practicing the occult, the dark arts, trying to tap into uh, forces that are opposed to God, so it was banned by God. You have to understand that Bar-Jesus, Elimus, this guy was not some wannabe, some trickster out there. It's not some wannabe Gandalf figure running around the island. He's a real practitioner of the dark arts with real power, real authority in that. And we know this because... Um, Paul, you're going to see momentarily, he's going to call him out. And this is not Paul just saying this as a whim. Paul, it says he's filled by the Holy Spirit and lays out this sorcerer, Elemas, bar Jesus, as a child of the devil. Basically saying, you have this, now you're going to have this uh, confrontation with, you have Paul who's a child of God, empowered by God himself. You have Bar-Jesus, a son, a child of the devil, who is so given over to the enemy and his schemes and empowered by that himself. And this is where we come to a clash of kingdoms, a power encounter. Goes on to, uh, to verse 11. It says, now the hand of the Lord is against you, Oops, I jumped ahead. You're like, hey, what about the rest of it? All right. <laughs> You're with me. You're tracking, aren't you? Okay, back up. Here we go. Okay, so back up here. The proconsul. Now, the proconsul. what does it say he was? An intelligent man. Sent for Barnabas and Saul. Because he wanted to hear the word of the Lord. But Alemas, the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them. And he tried to turn the proconsul from faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, here it is filled with the Holy Spirit, he looked straight at Alimus and he said, you're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? So do you see in this big scene, you have um, this uh, pro who's hungry to hear the message. He wants to hear the message and on the other side, you've got his right-hand guy, this sorcerer, who in somehow in this conversation, he's trying to turn the proconsul away from believing in the message of Jesus. And at some point in this conversation, Paul stops dead, looks the guy straight in the eyes, and calls him out. It's a, it's a powerful story, because Bar-Jesus was not just a, someone who's trying to deceive. He was, he was empowered by the deceiver himself, by the enemy himself. And it, you've got this power encounter. It goes on to say in verse 11, Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to blind, be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. His punishment was blindness. And this blindness was symbolic of what was happening to him spiritually, He had willingly, as a Jew, he knew who the true God was, that there'd be a promised Messiah. He willfully turned away from that, and then he started uh, jumping uh, into the dark arts, the astrology, the occult, dark practices, and he turns to darkness. So it seems real fitting that his punishment by God was to strike him with blindness, which was the reality of his spiritual condition goes on in verse 12. Now look what happens. When the pro saw what had happened, so he just sees, they just told him about Jesus. They go against the sorcerer. He is now struck blind. It says he believed. <laughs> that did it. All right, I'm in. For he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So what caught this pro attention? Obviously, he was moved by the teaching. He was hungry for it. But at the moment he saw the power of God come through, he gave his life. So you have the power of God and the teaching of God, and it moved this, this governor to turn and follow the Lord himself. Darkness overcame light, and uh, it was a victory in this big power encounter. As we look at this today, we're going to talk about moving in power. And in order to do this, we've got to talk about the kingdom of God. And there's three major kingdom realities for us to pull out of this. And uh, that's what we're going to unpack today. The first one is this. The message of the kingdom is opposed. The message of the kingdom is opposed. A lot of times we think if God is opening a door, if we can kind of move in, we could share about the Lord, that we should not have opposition. If we do, we're probably running ahead of the Lord. No, that's not what reality is. Opposition doesn't mean that something is wrong. Opposition actually may mean that something is right. Paul often got opposition. If you look at a verse in your outline, 1 Corinthians 16, 9, it says this. Because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. God sent him out. He's on a journey on behalf of God. But I'm telling you, you read later in the stories, this guy had been beat up crazy things happened to him, he always faced opposition because there is a real enemy kingdom that's dead set against this message and things will play out in the physical world just like the cosmic world. A lot of times you'll, you'll notice opposition. You'll see it. A couple months ago, my son was swimming in a pool at a hotel and it's this huge swimming pool and my wife and I were sitting on the side of the pool watching my son. He's swimming, having a great time, And uh, it was one, honestly, it was like this most bizarre Twilight Zone moment because, you know, you're at like this nice pool, at a nice hotel, and all of a sudden, uh, uh, there had to be over 100 people around this pool. All of a sudden, people got real quiet. You know, there's music in the background, but it kind of got, maybe the the hush of the crowd started coming. It's just odd, and it makes you kind of look around. And then they all start getting up right around the same time, all people, different ages, backgrounds, and they start making their way to the swimming pool at the same time, awkward and not talking. And so this is just bizarre. So the, now you got a picture almost 100 people in this pool, standing there, not like swimming, having fun, standing. And there's one person in the pool making a lot of noise, my son, playing with a ball. Um, and pretty soon they, these people start putting their hands over their head and they start chanting, trying to charge the waters. And my son looks at me, he's like, huh? I'm like, I don't know. And uh, so he gets out uh, comes over and I, we start talking about some of the eastern religions and different beliefs like that and he's like wow there's this many people that don't know the lord and he got excited about that I'm like yeah there's this many people that don't know the lord and uh so he gets out goes to the jacuzzi and so we're watching him in the jacuzzi makes two friends in there and another seven he's seven there's a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old in this jacuzzi and so he's talking to them for like 10 15 minutes pretty soon he comes over he goes okay dad there's a seven-year-old there's a nine-year-old the seven-year-old is ready he wants to receive jesus <laughs> Now, he's like, this 9-year-old, I don't know. I don't think he's totally into it, though. I don't think he's really into this message. I'm like, well, that's awesome. And I said, well, why don't you go pray with the 7-year-old? Um, he goes, well, you might want to pray with you. That's fine, whatever. Pray with him or if you want. And so he goes over there, starts talking to a kid. And it's so funny because his 9-year-old brother grabs him by the hand, just drags his brother out of the jacuzzi away. Now, you know, when someone is hearing the message of Jesus, there's a lot of things involved your mind is involved. You got to understand this message. Our will is involved. There's a place of volitional decision. You've got to make a choice to come under the leadership of, of Christ. There's the will involved. Somehow we know prayer is involved. We're supposed to pray for those. We know somehow the enemy can blind people to the truth. I have a master's in apologetics. I'm telling you, you can't argue somebody into the kingdom. There's more at play spiritually. You have different things going on, too. Um, Our prayers are involved. You have the Holy Spirit involved. There's a lot of things in the unseen realm that are at play when three kids are in a jacuzzi talking. On the outside, it just looks like a pretty innocent little thing. If we could peel back that reality and see what's actually taking place, it would be cosmic. It's very powerful. You know... um, In 2 Corinthians 4:4. There's a key verse. I'm gonna read it in a second. Part of this rabbit hole that I mentioned we're going down is understanding our world. There's two major worldviews, and a simple way of saying it: there's a naturalistic worldview and the spiritualistic worldview. So in a natural way, there's a this would be the form where say all what what is reality is what you can see, touch, taste, um, and measure. There's a spiritual worldview, which a majority of the world, over 5 billion people would hold this, and almost all of history holds it, which says there are realities behind the reality, which makes sense, because there is an immaterial part of us designed for another world. And, the, and Scripture is very clear that it, ta- it's, it is, has a spiritualistic worldview. Now, just because people are spiritualistic, they may they have a lot of false gods, a lot, a lot of false spirituality they run after. But Scripture is very clear that unseen realities are very much a part of our daily lives, and especially about sharing the message of Jesus. It's very key. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Um, it says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, look at that phrase, the God of this age. Well, who's the God of this age? That is a reference to the mightiest angels. His name was Satan. Um, Lucifer became Satan. He turned away, became the deceiver. Now, I want to talk to you, why in the world is he called the God of this age? Do you know he was not created as the God of this age? He was created as a messenger of God. Angels is another way of saying they're messengers, servants of God. When God created mankind, man and woman, on the earth, They were created in an incredible, lofty position. They were called the sons and daughters of God. They're like the kings and queens of the earth. They were above the angels. That relationship between God and humanity was so close. It's family, different than what the angels had. Now, they had authority. It's not like Satan did not have authority over them or power over them at all. None of the angelic hosts had any authority or power. But well, they had power and authority to deceive. The enemy could deceive, he could lie, he could trick. And in a, in a great scheme, he throws lies out, casting dispersions on the character of God. He's not that good. He didn't really say this. Ultimately, he d- draws them away from God. They choose to fall into sin. And the minute they do that, it is like taking the keys out of their pocket and handing him over to the enemy. They were under the authority of God, and the minute they choose to step out of God's authority and covering and protection, there's only one other place to go. They're under now the authority of the enemy, and he now, where mankind was assigned as the, you know, the ones who had dominion over the earth, that now fell under Satan himself, and it's under an enemy kingdom. That's why the message of Jesus is he's coming back to restore the kingdom of God to the earth. And he's restoring mankind to their rightful place in this amazing relationship he's always designed for us to be in, that is more special than any angelic relationship. The scripture talks, it's like the angels look at it with wonder. It's amazing. Scripture even says, one day you'll be judging the angels. It's crazy, right? So this is, when it says the God of this age has blinded the minds, there's something spiritual going on. And so if you have a Bible, look at Colossians 1, verse 13, and it's going to talk about these two kingdoms, and it says this, for he, referring to Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. There's something very powerful when you give your life to Christ, you're coming out from authority of an enemy kingdom, and you're brought into God's eternal kingdom. It's a powerful spiritual thing, the reality behind the reality. And then when we're part of this great family of believers, God is enlisting us to help restore rightful rule, extending the kingdom of God around the earth. That's our mission. There's a... um, There's a a great idea, I guess, way to even look at this. One would be to say that this battle we are in, it's a cosmic battle, and it's over territory. The territory that is, you know, when we say this kingdom is opposed, it's opposed for territory. The territory it's referring to are the lives of people. Anytime somebody submits their life to Christ, the territory, the kingdom of God, expands. Anytime you surrender an area of your life over to God, You now have new authority in your life. The kingdom of God is expanding. Something synonymous with the kingdom of God would be saying the rule of God. So whenever you you surrender something to the rule of God, the kingdom of God expands. So it's a battle over territory, the territory of people's lives. And there's gonna be opposition, whether it's in a jacuzzi with a couple kids hanging out or whether you're out there sharing. I remember um, experiencing this in a different way. I was in college. I was calling up a buddy of mine we were praying for each other. This guy was moving into a deeper place of surrender than he had before. And, I re- and as I talked to him, I'm, I asked him, how can I pray for you this week? And he's saying, it's weird, I'm getting nightmares. My roommate and I are having more conflicts than we've had before. Um, so I'm not sure, something just seems to be going on. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's pray for that. And as we're praying, he got fear that overcame him. Utter terror, fear without a source. He didn't understand. He was literally terrified, almost like there was something in his room. He's terrified. And I remember we prayed, and then it broke. Oh, I was fired up. That was exciting. It's like, wow, we saw something happen there spiritually. That night, I'm asleep. In the middle of the night, I wake up. I'm telling you, it was terror had overcome me. I was in a fetal position in my bed. And it was terror without a source. You ever have fear without a source? I'm telling you, it's demonic. And um, I quoted a scripture out loud. said, I'm a child of God. The evil one cannot touch me. And I just prayed in the authority of Christ. And I'm telling it broke so fast, I don't even know what hit me. It's like, it, it happened so fast, and fear was gone. And I'm going to smile. I wanted to tell somebody. There's nobody around to tell. But I felt like a superhero at that moment. I felt like that was so amazing. Sometimes, when er, just that's what I'm saying, when someone, even in their life, they're beginning to surrender territory of their life, opposition can look like a million different things. And even if it's a fear attack. It can come in different ways. Just know this. The enemy or the kingdom message will always be opposed. doesn't mean something's wrong. It probably means something is right. Second thing to catch, the language of the kingdom is power. The language of the kingdom is power. This is 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20. It's in your outline. It says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power but of power. Supernatural demonstration was a natural part of sharing the message of Jesus. When you read through the uh, New Testament, there's a natural part of that. There's a uh, professor, he's at uh, Fuller, he said this, name, his name is Bryant Myers. He said, um, Christians in the West believe that the critical question for evangelism is whose God is the true God? For people who still hold a largely traditional view of the world, the critical question is not what is true as much as it is who is the most powerful. After all, it is the stuff in the excluded middle that affects their lives for good or ill. This means that news about a God whose spirit is more powerful than curses, witch doctors, and demons, it's very attractive. Today's story in Acts highlights that. The language... That moved this governor was power. Obviously, it says he was amazed at the message of Jesus. But when he saw the power behind that message, man, he was in. He didn't hold back. Something very powerful. There's a man by the name of Yosef Mena. He's a leader of the work that we do in Ethiopia. We partnered with him out there. He travels the country sharing Christ. And Yosef went to different villages. He ends up in one village in Ethiopia and he begins to share the message of Jesus and there's some openness to it and he hears a rumor that's being stirred by a witch doctor and the witch doctor is saying that this man sharing Jesus is going to die so when he hears this rumor he decides something i'm going to go visit that witch doctor i like this guy so he hears this rumor and he goes and how you doing are you you're the witch doctor my name is joseph i hear you've been talking about me. I just would love to talk to you about what I'm talking about and the message. So he shares with this witch doctor, and that didn't go very well. Um, witch doctor was not impressed, totally opposed to it. In fact, the witch doctor made a declaration. He said, you will leave town today or you will be dead by tomorrow. And Yosef uh, said he felt empowered at that moment by the Spirit of God, and he says, I will not leave town today. In fact, I will stay here and I will share the message of Jesus. Within one year, you will be dead. I don't know where that came from. Okay, off he goes. Um, So he goes around doing what he's going to do. And uh, guess what? Which doctor dies? And people in that village start coming to Christ. And they see the power of God. The language of the kingdom is power. We see that in, uh, in the New Testament. Part of what you see, Jesus modeled it in 1 John 3, verse 8. It said, it's in your outline, it says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Well, what in the world is his work? What's the devil's work? Well, we learned he blinds minds. Somehow, somehow he is involved in blocking people's understanding. There's something spiritually at play, a spiritual darkness that can come. We know in Scripture that He can hold people in bondage through fear. We learn that in Hebrews. In the Gospels, we see that the enemy has some kind of power physically. When people are unsurrendered in some ways, there's something going on. He has authority to attack them physically, illness. Jesus healed a woman who was sick for 18 years, And a doctor was not going to be able to help this because it was spiritual by nature. Not saying doctors are bad. We love that. But this particular case, there was something spiritual involved, and it involved um, the demonic attack, some kind of demonic attack. We learned that the demonic can attack the mind. We learned that it um, can take hold and have different levels of authority in lives. When there's areas of our life unsurrendered to God, it gives some kind of level of influence there to make things harder. In the Old Testament, we saw a very dark supernatural power. You remember in the courts of Pharaoh when Moses was saying, let my people go. And Moses was given a staff by God that he could throw in the ground. That staff would turn into a serpent. Awesome. He could pick it up by the tail. Scary. And that thing would turn back into a staff. And so he demonstrates it in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is not impressed. He goes, watch my sorcerers. And then you see an act of evil supernaturalism. They throw down their staffs, they become serpents as well. The demonic trying to mimic the power of God. I love what happens. Moses' staff does what? Eats those other ones. Awesome. <laughs> Got to love that part of the story. Um, what is that? The language of the kingdom is power. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And uh, if you ever read in Matthew 12, it says, when you see me driving out demons, he's saying the kingdom of God has come near. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke 4, verse 18. You're going to see that Jesus said he would do this. Luke 4, 18. And here's the pattern you're going to see. He would proclaim the truth, and then he would demonstrate it with power. Luke 4, this is the first sermon Jesus is preaching when he's going public that he is the coming Messiah. And he, he is he's quoting a prophetic word from Isaiah chapter 61. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So what's Jesus saying? I'm going to proclaim the news that I'm the promised Messiah. I will proclaim it. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind power. Proclamation and power to set the oppressed free. That's why when he walked around, he would, he was getting people free from the demonic. That's a move of power to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then the very next scene in the book of Luke, he goes to Capernaum and down there he begins proclaiming and teaching. And then there's a demonic opposition. A demon starts crying out through somebody. He silences it sets that person free, and I'm telling you, they've never seen power like that. The language of the kingdom is power. The supernatural war was a very natural part of sharing Christ. Um, When somebody is making a decision for Christ, there's a lot going on, and it's a lot to ask of somebody, too, when they make a big shift in their mind and a big declaration they're going to turn and follow the Lord. I like how the NIV application commentary says it. In your outline, you can read it, too. Um, And he says it's a costly message, for it involves renouncing one's past life and embracing Christ as Lord. Thus, unless there is some compelling evidence that will move their hearts, people will not regard it as worthy of consideration. Once their hearts open, it's possible for the will to be oriented to accepting the gospel. People will be able to regard its teaching for what it's worth without their earlier prejudices and fears they will realize it is something worth committing their lives to. I used to lead teams to Juarez, Mexico, share the Lord down there. Some people hungry, desperate, others really opposed, obviously, to the message. But something that we would do, we we took this phrase very literally. When when Scripture says, pray for everyone on all occasion, awesome, we're going to just do that. They come around, they're open to prayer, let's just pray and see what God wants to do. And so we would pray for people, and I'm telling you, there are times God would move dramatically in the moment. And I'm telling you, um, they may not have been open to the message, but all of a sudden, they experience something of the power of God, and now they're real curious about this message. I'm just saying, sometimes you just step out, and when God chooses to show up in that way, there's something that it does. It creates pathways that were never opened before. It's powerful. You know, I was uh, recently praying with a guy. His name was Chad. Chad was saying, just saying he wanted to have a place of deeper surrender in his life. And I said, that's great. We'll pray for that too. And I said, anything else you want prayer for? Please. Yeah, you know what? My knee, I've I've messed my knee up. It's it's so tweaked. Happened a few years ago, and it's been killing me all day. It's always hurting. It's always this. I said, okay, well, okay, I'll pray for that too. So I said a very simple prayer. I, for whatever reason, God chose to do something that day, and he felt it instantly. This guy was like jumping up and down. He was like ecstatic. Once he calmed down, I said, Chad, I got to show my son this. Do you mind telling him what happened? He goes, oh, I'll tell him, sure. And so I filmed a quick little video of him. This is Chad right here. Don't you love, Chad? I love that guy. Really fun. He's so excited. But, you know, for whatever reason, God moved, touched him in a new way. And I'm telling you, it, there's something. It opens something deeper for him to pursue God in an aggressive way. That's the grace of God. And it's something very powerful. The language of the kingdom is power. Not that God always moves in that way, but I'm telling you, there is an authority behind that, that God often will do things. Acts 8, 6, it says, when the crowds heard Philip and they saw the signs he performed they all played, paid close attention to what he said. So they saw these miracles, now they're paying attention. Um, right now, it's interesting, Muslims are coming to Christ in droves. I just spoke to somebody from our team that just got back from Tanzania, led another Muslim to the Lord, this guy on the side of a road in a really hard-to-reach area, came to Christ. Two nights ago, I heard a guy by the name of Sean, he's part of a 24-7 Ministries, he was speaking about uh, Kurdistan. And in Kurdistan, about, they're about 20 miles from... Um, ISIS uh, attackers that are coming in, so it's a, a hot area. And it's, it's bloody, it's crazy, it's uh, scary. And as these Christian leaders in Kurdistan had gathered, and these Muslims are turning to Christ, they said, right now, we need worshipers more than warriors. We need worshipers. Can you send people with guitars, people who will worship? We're finding that when we are worshiping and turning to God, we're seeing victory in our battles. We need worshipers. Will you send them? what a great story, right? It's almost like the Old Testament story of Jehoshaphat, who would send out worshipers in front of his army. It's a powerful thing. The language of the kingdom is power. And uh, there should be more thought for us just in considering our role in that, which is why number three says, the authority of the kingdom is in you. The authority of the kingdom is in you. When I say you, I'm referring to a Christ follower you, this is for those who are under Christ, under his leadership, under his rule. It's power. You, don't, you want to know what that power is? This is not some Star Wars mystical force that's out there. This power is a person, and it's the person of the Holy Spirit who comes to live, to dwell inside of you the moment you come to Christ. The power is a presence, and it's very powerful. The more submitted you are to Christ the more power you move in because he is reigning in your life. The power is a person. And I'm telling you, there's tremendous power for any believer that walks on the face of this earth. Ephesians underscores the power that's there and that's available. In your outline, it's Ephesians 1.19. It says this, and his incomparably great power. So how good is this power? It is incomparably great. There's nothing that touches it. There's no power that comes near it. All the forces of hell, the enemy kingdom, it cannot touch the incomparably great power of God. It's not this big, scary power encounter. that is incomparably great, and that power is within you. It says, for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. He seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms is very clear, this power is power over sin. There is authority, there's authority in our lives to move and walk free from areas that have bound us up for years. Authority to walk free from bondages. Christ paid for it. The Holy Spirit empowers us. He's in us. This is so different than Old Testament style. Old Testament, you'd get these manifestations of God in these temples or tabernacles or when the children of Israel are wandering through a pillar of fire, or a cloud, um, and God's presence could be manifest somewhere. After that, no more. When Jesus died, the the big thick curtain in the temple rips because the Holy of Holy now has free access because the Spirit of God lives inside of us, and it brings tremendous power and authority, gives us power, gifting. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is part of ours. So this is the big thing. Understanding how great this power is, my son illustrates it great when we play Star Wars. He likes to play Star Wars. Grabs a lightsaber. He'll throw me a little. Um, he likes me to have this pistol thing. So I shoot a pistol. He grabs the lightsaber. He loves this thing. Sometimes we battle um, with lightsaber. But when the pistol comes out, he's into this thing and he's running. He's blocking the shots with this, you know, lightsaber. You know, and he's going around. And I'll do sneak attacks on him. Like I totally got you on that one. He's like, no, you didn't. I said, how could I not? I've shot you like 100 times. No, you didn't. I have a force field. Oh, <laughs> okay. How about we switch? You give me the lightsaber, I take your force field. Oh, no. Force field stays with me. am like, really? But how do I ever win in this? Then with a little smile, he's like, you don't. <laughs> don't you love that? Incomparably great power. It's just like no contest. I think that's a good illustration about what is behind a believer, All of heaven is behind you. It is an incomparably great power. People are often very afraid of the demonic realm and these things. You understand what the power of the demonic is? It is the power to to deceive, to lie, to cause fear. And the only authority in a believer's life that the demonic has is the authority that we grant it when we willingly walk in sin or leave places of our life uncovered. And that's so the authority is given to it. We have tremendous authority to walk free. And uh, the Lord really intends us to do two things with this authority, to overcome sin. You overcome sin, you run after God. I'm going to share a verse for, with you. It's in Hebrews 4. You can look it up, verse 16, that I think a lot of us would look at say, yeah, we believe it, or we know it, but I'd actually challenge you on if you really believe it. Because if you ask deep down, when no one's looking, when you're all alone, do you really believe this? Hebrews 4, verse 16. It says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Stop for a moment. What do you imagine the throne room of God looks like? Do you imagine the power? We get glimpses of it in the New Testament. Holy, holy, holy. It's this powerful thing. Angels, craziness, power, lightning, whatever. Crazy power. And he says, by the way, you approach it with confidence. Uh Uh-uh, because when I read Isaiah 6, he's freaking out and he feels like a worm, like he's gonna die. But why believers in the New Testament get to approach the throne? And now it's retitled, it's the throne of grace, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. There is an authority and a power and an access that is unprecedented. You're the children of God. Romans 8 says, that, or in Romans it says, the heirs of God. You're a co-heir with Christ under the lordship of Christ. You have amazing access. Somehow we think it's like we're sneaking backstage. We're going to get caught and kicked out. Or we feel like God is going to be so upset with us that we're going to avoid running to him in our dirtiest, darkest, scariest places of our life because we feel so much shame. Uh, If you have a true biblical picture, he paid for all that. When he died on the cross, he had paid for it all. So when you get to come, that's what you've been forgiven of, and you're going to come and resurrender your life again to him again. And you're going to experience the grace, mercy, power, freedom of God. So what does he want us to do when we're in sin? Is not run from him, but run to him, where he can cleanse, free, and empower you once again. It's the throne of grace. But somehow in our minds, we build up this picture, like running to the Lord is the last place we should go when we're in sin. You're under the authority of Christ. Positionally, you're clean. He, the authority and freedom and, and uh, purity that Jesus has is now how he sees you, and then you can freely f- say, freely forgive me again and wash me clean. You get to run to the throne of grace because your father is proud of you. He wants you. So you have authority over sin, and the other thing you have is authority to advance the kingdom. Acts 1.8 said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. when the disciples were sent out jesus said as the father sent me so i send you john 14 12 says this very truly i tell you whoever believes in me will do the works i've been doing and they will do even greater than things than these because i'm going to the father so when jesus left he taps you're in and i'm not leaving you helpless you have the very power of the holy spirit you get to move under the authority of Christ. He calls us ambassadors of God with all of heaven behind you, which is a crazy thought. When you pray, things happen. You get to call on the the angelic host to come, Lord, minister, do what you need to do. And somehow, some way, in the unseen realms, when we pray, things happen. When we move, when we share the, the message of Jesus, things are happening spiritually. Things are breaking off of people. Things are things are rolling. And it's a very powerful, clear picture in Scripture. When I was young, uh, remember on the playground, could still do it to this day? My daddy's stronger than your daddy. Oh, no way. My daddy can beat up your daddy. Nah, uh My daddy's stronger. That's a great one to play spiritually. Who's your daddy, right? <laughs> Who is your daddy? He made the stars, right? He can, with a word, create planets, galaxies, He's the maker and sustainer of the world. With a word, he can shake the foundations of the earth. That's your father. That is your father. He's the faithful one. He's the fearsome one, but he's yours. And he, you get to call him not just almighty God. He says, you call me daddy and you run in. I'm telling you, that image is freedom. That's freedom. Um, and it's one great preacher I heard. He says, uh, if you know uh, who you are and whose you are, and everything changes. It's the game changer. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um, today, as we, uh, as we wrap this up, I want to ask you two questions. I'm going to ask you two questions. First one is this. Are you in the kingdom? Are you in the kingdom? This is, uh, this is one of these things where we gather as a church. Um, we don't want to just come away with knowledge. We are here for a purpose. We want to come in this place and say, we want to surrender to the Lord. Um, we're here to move on what we learn. We're here to act on what we know. And for you, if you've been coming to church, but you don't even know, you're not even sure if you could ever think of a time that you've said with your, with your own thoughts, with your own heart and said, I do know I need the Lord and I want to become part of of this movement. I want to accept Jesus. I want to be in the kingdom. I want to accept the very death that he died for my sin. He rose, and I want to come in. I want to be in. There's something that happens when you make a volitional decision, a decision of the will. When you when you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you are in the kingdom. You are as as that scripture we read you are rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into a new kingdom the kingdom of the son and it happens in an instant and now all of a sudden you walk in a new place of power and authority to move free and experience transformation in your life it's real so the biggest thing i would say is one are you in the kingdom cuz hearing about the kingdom is not in the kingdom you've got to make a point of choice where you say i'm in the kingdom second question I ask you is, are you stepping out in authority? Are you stepping out in authority? Here's a big deal. I want you to know, God knows how much authority you get to walk in. He has set it up that way. You're his partners on the earth. Jesus left. He said, it's even better that I go. You've got the Holy Spirit. Go get him. And now we're multiplying this around the earth, reestablishing the kingdom of God as people surrender their lives. God knows how much authority you've got. You know who else knows how much authority you have? Satan and the demonic realm knows exactly how much authority you have. Let me just say this. In the demonic realm, they understand authority structures very well. When they see a person of God, the very presence of God is very clear to them. The more surrendered you are to the Lord, I'm telling you, the more powerful that is. The biggest thing that the enemy kingdom would love for you to doubt is the fact of who you are and the fact that you could walk in freedom. If they can get you to believe the lie, they win. Easiest battle in the world. And it's very effective. The enemy knows it. The question, do you know it? All the unseen realm is very aware of this. We seem to be the last one to pick up on this. Right? Are you stepping out in authority? And I'm saying you can can do this in a couple ways. You do it for others. Hey, you move. You pray with people. You're praying with somebody, talking to someone about the Lord, and you feel like there's interference. You can pray quietly in your mind. You pray out loud, Lord, I just, whatever this is, I just I come against it in the name of Christ. Would you give us a window of freedom to talk about you? You don't need to scream, yell, or anything, but I'm telling you, that is an act of authority, and I'm telling you, God makes ways. I love to pray the peace of Christ over people. People are terrified, freaking out. I said, I just want you to experience the Lord. So, Lord, I just say, you said, my peace I leave you, my peace I give you. So, right now, release your peace. And, man, you see the peace of God begin to fall. That's power you have authority. It's beautiful. So you want to use it on behalf of others, and you want to use it for yourself. Um, If the enemy has any dominion in your life, this is the place to surrender that. It's hard to walk in authority when you're all bound up. So you take back that ground. You have authority and right to move straight against it without hesitation, and you say, Lord, this is unsurrendered, unsubmitted. I now submit and surrender it, and uh, you know we're going to do it in a very practical way right now. We're ending this service taking communion. And the reason we want to do that is because it's such a great way that pictures that we are going to take territory right now. And it's a very practical way to do it. When you look at the blood represented by the cup or the broken bread which represents the broken body of Christ, you know what that is? That is like your authority. It, it gives you, It's great authority to know that you don't have to try and pay the price for your own sin. It's been paid for. You get to receive that freely, and you get to humbly come before someone who loved you enough to die for you, and your greatest position of power is a position of surrender, and you get to take back authority in your own life. Sound good? I'm going to invite you to stand up, and we're going to pray. So as we pray, we're going to do something. I'm going to first, I'm going to ask you, just close your eyes, please. And uh, let go of your distraction. First question I ask you is, are you in the kingdom? And I want to speak to those of you who are not sure. Right now, you're going to, you can be sure. You may already sense the very spirit of God moving on your heart. So I want to invite you to do something to the Lord. You're going to just declare to the Lord you want to be in his kingdom. You want to accept the gift of Jesus, that he's true God who came as man lived a perfect life, died in your place, rose, demonstrating authority, victory, power over sin and death and the enemy. And you say, I want to come away from being the leader of my own life. I surrender my life to your leadership and I do it right now. And I'm going to lead you in this prayer. You just repeat in your own mind. Say, Lord Jesus. I know I'm not worthy, but you have called me worthy, worthy enough to die for me. I don't even understand that. I accept your gift in my place. You died in my place. You rose demonstrating your power and your life. Today I'm telling you, I give you my life. I surrender it. You're the true king. And I come under your leadership. So please transform me. Cleanse me from all the stuff that I'm embarrassed by the guilt, the ways I've run from you and lived a life apart from you. Wash it off. Clean me up. I pray you would fill me with the Holy Spirit right now. That I can walk in new freedom and authority. I want to be part of the kingdom. Keep your heads down. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to know that. Just raise your hand. I want to see. If you prayed that, you're in. There's a lot of hands going up through the auditorium. So we're going to praise the church. Lord Jesus, you seal um, these decisions. We know the enemy loves to come and try and do something to block these kind of things. So I thank you, Lord, that these people are in the kingdom of God. I thank you, Lord, that they have the gift of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that they're starting a whole new path. So we pray that you would protect them, preserve them that you would fill them with gifts for the kingdom of God, that you would transform their lives from the inside out, that they they could be a blessing to others. So protect and seal the work that you've done as you welcome them into the kingdom. And we say that in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. That felt good, right? Welcome to the kingdom, all those of you who prayed that. See what this is? We're just taking territory. Now we're going to take it for our own lives. Bow your heads. So, Lord, we just come in our own life, in our own way. We're coming to move in ways where we don't even know areas that are necessarily unsurrendered. I pray right now, direct each of us to our mind and our thought. Holy Spirit, show us what is unsurrendered. What unforgiveness is there? What form of control do we try to exert that's just, it's of our flesh, it's just not even of you? What fears do we have that just bleed out in so much other behavior? What bondage or sin do we hold on to? Um, Because we need to be filled up in some way. We say, Lord, you fill us up. And we just confess those things. We want to come to this table aggressively taking territory. And we're going to come boldly and confidently because you said this is a throne of grace. So I pray that becomes our posture today that we get to run in freedom and you even change our desires. You change our desires as we do this. Give us a desire for what is true, right, and beautiful, which is you and a life following you. So do that now as we take this communion. There's tables in the front, side, and the back, and uh, let's continue to just move before the Lord as we worship. You're dismissed at the tables. Uh, do you feel that strengthening right now? You know, there's something very powerful uh, about just declaring that. So uh, I just ask you, Lord, would you release that over people? There'd be a strengthening in the Lord that there's such a resoluteness in our spirit that we're not shaken so i release that lord would you just do that over people just to even encourage you you know you're never too far to turn back to the lord you're never too far so you know we're continuing on we have one more song i love this song it's called kingdom come it's so fitting for today right because we're taking territory we're taking ter- territory here and all of you have different spheres of influence God will take territory there as well, too. That's why you're here. And uh, so we're going to use this as a prayer of declaration, a prayer. um, And you just let the Lord, if there's still work he's doing there, too, um, you just keep moving on it. We're going to be taking our offering during this time as well. But let me pray as we prepare for that. So, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for what you're doing in this place right now. Thank you that you're taking territory. Thank you that we get to move forward with you that there's always a place to run after you. Thank you that we have freedom to keep running. And I just pray against every lie that we put in our own mind, that we can't turn to you. Would you break that off today? And would you keep giving us a sense of abandon within our spirit to be free to run after you? So I just pray that over everybody. Would you take these gifts that we're gonna give, would you notice and just see, Lord, purify us? May they come with hands wide open, with a heart to give, not out of compulsion. But would you take these gifts from our heart, Lord? Would you use them to extend the kingdom of God here and around the world? We pray in your name. Amen. Yes. Wow. That was great. You know, uh, as we close here, please, if you have any needs, prayer needs, and you'd love to pray with somebody, we have people to my right, your left. We have prayer counselors over there. They'd love to stand with you, pray with you, and uh, partner with you today. So take advantage of that. You know, today was very powerful. You know, you were taking ground. People were welcomed into the kingdom of God. It's powerful, right? Um, So we're going to be the people of God, and oftentimes we end with a blessing. But today we're going to end with a declaration, and we're going to do that together. How's that sound? So put your hand over your heart and close your eyes, and let's just declare this. Lord, um, thank you, Lord. I'm free. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. And I declare that I get to walk in your freedom. I declare declare that I can be part of changing the world. world. Transform Transform me me. and may the kingdom in me me. become the kingdom around me me. as I demonstrate your love and your your power power in Jesus. Jesus. And And as long as I have breath, I commit my life to this mission. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.